All right, folks, and welcome aboard. Tuesday night edition, Philip Ward Show. We are into the 687th day of slowing the spread. 1,087 days left to endure in the Biden administration. And folks, as we come on air tonight... We have multiple breaking news stories, one involving Whoopi Goldberg over in The View and ABC News. I can't believe that there's actually consequences for Whoopi's actions and what Whoopi Goldberg said. It's it's incredible to me, so we'll uh, get into that. Also, I have in my hands here, right, Axios report, just bro- this just broke about an hour ago, headline here, this is a... Uh, Jonathan Swan also tweeting about it on the Twitter box. Here's the headline here. Scoop leaked document reveals Biden's Afghan failures. I mean, well, we've known this. In fact, we've been talking about this for a long time in this program. We are still holding to this point in time, holding Joe Unity Biden accountable for what happened in Afghanistan. How is it that the American president, right, who was saying, oh, no, you won't see a situation like we saw in Saigon. Well, that's exactly what we saw. Americans being evacuated on the top of the roof of the embassy. It happened in Saigon, happened in in Kabul, in Afghanistan, all throughout the country. And also, remember Joe Biden, when he was being asked, well, if the American forces withdrew from Afghanistan, is it, is it going to happen? Is it imminent? Is it inevitable that the Taliban is going to take over Afghanistan? Joe Biden said, no, no, it's not inevitable, man. Come on, man. What are you, a junkie? Well, we know exactly what happened. As per usual, the, uh, another common theme throughout this administration so far, Joe Unity Biden says one thing. <laughs> you better believe that the opposite is indeed going to happen um oh and by the way joe biden today kind of let the cat out of the bag when he was talking about the constitution wait till i wait till we get to that part of the program when you hear what joe biden himself had to say about the constitution unbelievable but anyway we start with breaking news from axios Headline here, scoop leak detailed, uh, leak document, excuse me, reveals Biden's Afghan failures. Leaked notes from a White House Situation Room meeting the day before Kabul in Afghanistan, the capital of Afghanistan, fell, shed new light on just how unprepared The Biden administration was to evacuate Afghan nationals who helped the United States in its 20-year war against the Taliban. I mean, Joe Unity Biden, when he was talking about the Taliban, he had Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, saying, well, the the Taliban's been professional and businesslike. The Taliban, terrorists, people who have killed Americans, who are going door-to-door and killing Afghans in that country, are professional and businesslike. You gotta be kidding me. Who's by, who says things like that? I'll tell you what, people who hate America, for one. So, hours before the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan's capital on August 15th, 2021, senior Biden administration officials were still discussing and assigning basic actions 
involving a mass civilian evacuation. I mean, Joe Biden, his own generals were warning him that the Taliban is moving in, that they're taking different cities all throughout Afghanistan. And what did Joe Biden do? Didn't listen to his generals, didn't take action at all, had no plan. If he listened to Donald Trump and Donald Trump's plan, you know, to get out, I don't know, the American civilians out of Afghanistan first, you know, and then um, destroy our, our military equipment, you know, uh, uh, keep the bases that we had there, and then maybe after that, then get our military out, you know, it, as far as uh, Bagram goes. But Joe Biden didn't listen to a thing. Joe Biden, I don't know, and, and, and I'm just speculating here because we have no information coming out of the White House. These are only leaked documents that we're getting here tonight. But the, you know, this is the same Joe Biden who said that, well, this is going to be, I, I'm going to be uh, at the top of the most uh, transparent administration that this country's ever seen. It's the least transparent this country administration this country has ever seen. You know, I mean, it's amazing to me. It, what was Joe, I mean, obviously, given what's going on here, these documents tonight, this administration wasn't prepared at all. Joe Biden had no plan to get Americans out safely. In fact, on Joe Biden's watch, 13 U.S. service members lost their lives. Why? Because Biden trusted the Taliban and trusted, and the Taliban, you know, who were supposed to secure um, the airport, um, uh, uh, Hamid Karzai International Airport in Afghanistan, in Kabul. Well, then ISIS cages comes in and a, and a terrorist attack happens, you know, Take a look at the last four years under Donald Trump. Well, I guess um, now, what, uh, five years ago now, 26, uh, when Donald Trump started, 2017 to 2021, did we hear a single thing? Did we hear bombings? Did we hear terrorist attacks when it, came, when it came, uh, comes to ISIS? No. We didn't hear a single thing, a single peep out of ISIS. By the way, ISIS and 100% of the caliphate, yep, gone. Thanks to Donald Trump, because we actually had a president who was tough on terrorism. Qasem Soleimani, gone, taken out, totally dead. Quote from Donald Trump, he died like a dog. Probably to this day, Soleimani is burning in hell where he belongs. Al-Baghdadi, the one that, what did the Washington Post call him, a, a scholar? I mean, are you kidding me? Under Donald Trump, a terrorist with American blood on his hands, gone, dead. Because Donald Trump, when it comes to foreign affairs, when it comes to the United States military, took a Ronald Reagan approach. Peace through strength. Trust but verify. But Joe Biden, so who did Joe Biden trust though? Joe Biden trusted the Taliban, who then trusted ISIS-K. I mean, are you kidding me? Um, Outsiders were frustrated and suspicious. The administration was having plenty of meetings, but was struck in bureaucratic inertia and lacked urgency until the last minute. I mean, the the common theme you'll find here is that the Biden administration is totally unprepared, totally inept, has no idea how to get Americans 
out of out of a, a, a country where terrorists are taking over day by day. You're being warned about it. He had maps he was looking at. We had these trackers that were showing that it's it's not getting it's not getting any better in Afghanistan. And Joe Biden still did nothing. He had no plan at all. He was busy napping. While the word immediately peppers the document, it's clear officials were still scrambling to finalize their plans on the afternoon of August 14th. Um, for example, they just decided they needed to notify local Afghan staff to, quote, begin to register their interest in relocation to the United States. And this is August 14th. The Taliban took over. I think it was either the 14th or the 15th. And then remember, Joe Biden, well, we're going to have all of our people out by August 31st. This is on the 14th, for goodness sakes. And then remember, in his uh, ABC News interview with George Stephanopoulos, the former Clinton lackey, he was saying, oh, well, if there's still Americans left, then we're just going to have to stay there. Well, to this day, there's still Americans who are stranded and trapped in Afghanistan. When's the last time Joe Biden's even talked about Afghanistan? August 14th, they were still determining which countries could serve as transit points for evacuees. Axios obtained the NCS, National Security Council's, quote, summary of conclusions for a small meeting of the so-called deputy small group. It assembles top aides to various cabinet members, usually lays the groundwork for deputies or principals' sessions, or works out practical details for executing decisions already made by their bosses. The document regarded, quote, relocations out of Afghanistan. Meeting was held from 3.30 to 4.30 on the afternoon of August 14th, Washington, D.C. time. At the moment, Taliban fighters were, you bet, descending upon Kabul. The meeting was chaired by National Security Council official Liz Sherwood Randall, included senior officials across multiple agencies, including General John Hyten, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The meeting notes, uh, excuse me, the meeting notes highlight how many crucial actions the Biden administration was deciding on at the last minute. No plan at all totally unprepared no sense of urgency for getting innocent americans out of afghanistan so it's just hours before kabul would fall and former afghan president ghani fleed the whole country took off in a helicopter quote state will work to identify this was this was um these are parts of the uh in the documents in the meeting uh, quote, states will work to identify as many countries as possible to serve as transit points. Transit points need to be able to accommodate U.S. citizens, Afghan nationals, third country nationals, and other evacuees. Wouldn't you think, you know, what? while here the Taliban is taking over Kabul, that you'd already have a plan in place where you can put Americans or, I don't know, interpreters, you know, Afghan interpreters who helped the United States for the last 20 years? Um, another uh, detail in the meeting, quote, Embassy Kabul will notify locally employed staff to begin to register their interest in relocation to the United States and begin to, begin to prepare immediately for departure. And Axios writes, amid chaos and death, the effort to remove 
both U.S. citizens and cooperative Afghan nationals was executed in partnership with allies, many desperate improvised efforts from the private sector and veterans groups, folks, that and, and, and those people we've been reporting on on this program. The mainstream media, you can forget about it. They haven't talked about anyone who's been trying to help and get, you know, anyone that's not the federal government that's been trying to get people, innocent Americans and Afghans who helped us the last 20 years out of Afghanistan. No one's been talking about that. You're going to find that on Propaganda News, CNN, MSDNC, CBS, NBC, ABC. You can forget about it. All of them, totally. You know, and again, here's again the private sector having to stand up. The private sector, which makes this country work. If the public sector and the federal government would get out of the private sector's way and let the private sector run the country, we would be in so much better shape. Folks, less government involvement in our lives is always for the best do we really trust you really trust the federal government at this point in time especially with joe biden at the top of the helm joe biden who has consistently lied to the american people for 50 years in washington dc an old and i can say it at this point in time confidently an old racist buffoon who as far as it, it cognitively is no longer there He's so out to lunch, it's beyond ridiculous. The guy can't even formulate a sentence anymore. And you want me to believe, well, he got 81 million votes. Why, he's the most popular president this country's ever seen. You gotta be kidding me. Then one year, one year in his administration, the least popular president that this country's ever seen, his approval ratings still aren't going up. And a lot of the polling that we've been citing is from mainstream media outlets, you know, that that will always cover for the Democratic Party. You can take those polls, subtract 10 points off of them. I mean, my, amid chaos and death, listen to this, amid chaos and death, the effort to remove U.S. citizens and Afghan nationals executed in partnership, more or less with private sector people and veterans groups. Oh my God! Many of the key decisions hadn't even been made on the eve of Kabul's fall. How unprepared can you be when it comes to Americans trapped in a country that is about to be run by terrorists? This is what the Biden administration was doing. Nothing. Nothing at all. The president himself and his intelligence community overestimated the ability of the Afghan military to defend their territory against the Taliban. Go figure. Complicating the situation further, Ghani had personally pleaded with Biden not to do mass evacuations of Afghans earlier in the year. He feared it would signal a loss of faith in his government. By the way, Ghani, I have no time for him at all. A loss of faith in his government. How about your own president, fleeing the country when you were about to be overtaken by terrorists. Yeah, I think that would cause a loss of faith in his government. Many outside advisors was, were sounding the alarm as the Taliban swept through provincial capitals heading into August. Uh, Matt Zeller, who's a former CIA officer who contacted administration officials in February of 2021 about protecting Afghans who work with the Americans, said, quote, 
I kept being told by the people in the White House the thing they were most concerned. Listen to this. They weren't concerned about American safety. They weren't concerned about Afghans who helped us. They weren't concerned about interpreters. They weren't concerned about the United States military. No. The White House was concerned about the optics of a chaotic evacuation. He says they treated us like we were chicken little. They didn't believe the sky was falling. That word there, again, folks, again, comes up when it comes to Joe Unity Biden and Afghanistan. He says, I was told by people in the White House they were concerned about the optics, the perception that the White House is, that the White House and the Afghanistan government is losing against the Taliban, losing against terrorists that Jen Psaki said are professional and they're businesslike. If you go back August 31st of last year, Reuters, by the way, yep, you bet, it was reported on this program, before Afghan collapse, Biden pressed Ghani to, quote, change the perception in this phone call that Joe Unity had with Ghani, Biden focused on what he called the Afghan government's, quote, perception problem. Even though things are bad, we can't be truthful with the American people. Oh, we can't be truthful with with the people in Afghanistan. No, but it, it's the perception that matters. Quote, this is what Biden told the Afghanistan president. I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. I mean, <laughs> so Joe can't be truthful. He's saying to the Afghanistan president, you can't be truthful either, uh, either, even though I know it seems to me as though things are awful, God awful in your country. You need to change the perception. You need to change the optics. And remember, so this is going on behind the scenes in the White House. And yet, what's Joe saying publicly? He was asked the question, July 8th, he was asked the question, is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? And Joe said, no, it is not. So Joe was lying yet again to the American people. He was saying, no, 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 it's not inevitable. Come on, man, that ain't gonna happen. And then behind the scenes is telling, while the White House is totally unprepared and has no plan of action at all, he's telling Ghani, well, I, it, it seems to me, though, as though things aren't really going well, but you just got to change the optics. You got, I mean, don't make any real change. Don't have your army, I don't know, actually fight the Taliban, fight for their own country. Don't do that. You just need to change the perception. And he said, you know what? I'm out of here. And Ghani took off, took off with money, too, by the way. So anyway, folks, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say 
about Joe Unity buying in Afghanistan. But as long as there's Americans in Afghanistan, you better believe we're going to keep hammering and hammering and hammering Joe Unity Biden on what he calls the United States' withdrawal from Afghanistan. I call it a surrender by the Biden administration. Second piece of breaking news here, folks. Whoopi Goldberg suspended from The View following Holocaust comments. I could not believe my eyes when this popped up in front of me as I was trying to prepare for the program tonight. Whoopi Goldberg was suspended from The View. This happened about an hour ago. Uh, ABC News President Kim Godwin tweeting effective immediately i am suspending by the way remember like you know when it used to be like uh letters or like i i don't you would have like press releases now it's just a single tweet right and and and, and then you know you're done for effective immediately i'm suspending whoopi goldberg for her wrong and hurtful comments while whoopi has apologized i've asked her to take time to reflect learn about the impact of her comments um, remember, it was Whoopi who was saying that, well, the Holocaust wasn't about race. She was actually, I think she was on Stephen Colbert's show last night um, as well. Uh, she said, as uh, Jonathan Greenblatt from the Anti-Defamation League shared, the Holocaust was about the Nazis' systemic annihilation of the Jewish people, who they deemed to be an inferior race. I stand corrected, she wrote. Um, in an email to ABC staffers, Godwin explained her decision to suspend the co-host, quote, just last week oh by the way and i want to there's something here folks that i don't think a lot of people pick up pick up on but i want to tell you just last week i noted that the culture at abc news is one that is driven kind inclusive whoa now folks by the way respectful and transparent as well whoopee's comments do not align with those values any single time that you see an organization, a company, a corporation talking about, well, here we're inclusive. That just means liberal. That's what inclusive means at this point in time. Weird and liberal. That's what the definition of inclusive should be. That means we'll hire any old weirdo. That's all it means. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you, folks. So watch out when you see that now. The atmosphere here, the environment here. Oh, we're inclusive. Yeah, liberal. Um, we have other news to get into today. Um, here's This is in uh, KVO uh, TV news uh, in Texas here. Listen to this headline. Because what's happening in Canada, um, in Ottawa, where the truckers, the Freedom Convoy, where they're uh, protesting the vaccine mandates and they're not leaving Ottawa until the mandates are gone or until Justin Trudeau has resigned. By the way, he magically gets COVID yesterday too. Well, listen to this because folks, if this were to happen in the United States, get ready. And by the way, I applaud those truckers in Canada. I applaud this, um, uh, the Facebook group that they're on here. Let me get to the uh, story. I have it here. Thousands of U.S. truckers to protest vaccine mandate truckers in the united states are getting ready to follow the lead of their canadian counterparts and form a convoy that will travel from california the uss the united socialist state to washington dc this after 50,000 canadian truck drivers formed a 45 mile convoy to ottawa eh? 
this week to protest the government's vaccine mandate, the same mandate issued by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, who is requiring that U.S. Uh, non-U.S. essential workers, such as truck drivers, to be fully vaccinated against COVID. If they are not fully vaccinated, oh, how dare you? They must be Republicans. They will not be allowed to cross land borders from Canada or Mexico. The American Truckers formed a Facebook group that as of Sunday has more than 67,000 members. The page states that they support freedom and they are done with the mandates. The page reading, we are part of many large groups who believe in our founding fathers. We believe everyone has a voice. We support freedom Help us spread the word about this group, and together we can, uh, we all can make it a better place. God bless America, folk. What I mean, what could be so wrong with a Facebook group saying things? I, I, I love it myself. I really do. I think it's phenomenal what truckers are doing, and, and I applaud the Canadian truck drivers. Now, I'll be honest. Do I wish that American truck drivers did this first? Yeah, of course I do. I'm an America first guy, baby. But I mean, I, I applaud them, and, and and I hope that they I hope that they do this. I really do. I hope they drive from California to Washington D.C. Take a stand against the um, vaccine mandates. Um, more. Oh, I I did have to get into this too, folks, because the Washington Examiner wrote this piece on um I believe, folks, was this yesterday? Yes, it yes um yes it was. But, and here's the headline here. By the way, date doesn't really matter on it. But anyway, so I want to get into this yesterday. I just didn't have time for it. Here's the headline, folks. And I think this is very important because you know what? Remember on the Instagram when people were posting a, a black dot or a black s screenshot or whatever the heck it's called? And um, um, a black, I don't even know what it's called. But either way, they were posting a black dot. On the Instagram, it was oh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, oh, well, we need equality. You know, all this stuff. Well, the Washington, and on top of that, I mean, you had uh, the donations to Black Lives Matter. You had people in their little hashtag, hashtag Black Lives Matter, right? Even though they're 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 trained Marxist, Patrice Cullors herself, the Black uh, Black Lives Matter co-founder, you know, said that in her own exact words. Anyway, and um, what else, by the way? Uh, we could keep going. The BLMFL, there's a Black Lives Matter, uh, the uh, NBA, NBA so far gone. You can forget about that. Um, MLB, I mean, you could call them all you want. BLMLB, it don't matter to me. I call them the BLMFL. But anyway, so the Washington Examiner writes, I would maybe call it an expose on Black Lives Matter. And I think it's very important. Quote, there's the headline. The Black Lives Matter scam. The Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation did not raise a single penny for the first six years of its existence. It couldn't. The foundation, it wasn't even registered with the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, as a charity. But after George Floyd's murder in May of 2020, tens of millions of dollars were given to the organization from major corporations and celebrities. Oh my God, oh my God, Black Lives Matter, BLM, hashtag, 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 here's a black dot on my Instagram page. And now, no one even knows where all that money has gone. Even worse, 
there doesn't appear to be anyone in charge of the organization who can provide the information. Now, founded in 2013, after the death of Trayvon Martin, Black Lives Matter was a little more than a hashtag, which it still is to this day, and a website that loosely coordinated activism in communities across the country to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. For years, there did not appear to be a lot of outside resources directed to the organization, but, 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 in 2020, that all changed. Unable to accept the avalanche of money sent its way, BLM channeled donations through thousand currents. I'll pause right there because if you were, folks, to go to the old Google device and search thousand currents, you would find a little website called thousand currents. And the front, the first thing you see, moving money to the front lines of social change. Then they have news, the climate fund, time for a change up, food sovereignty, economic justice, climate justice. And right then and there, folks, you know you have found yourself in a liberal activist page. Good luck. So Thousand Currents is one. And the Tides Foundation, if you were to go to the Tides Foundation, Google it up, tides.org, there we go. Tides, Healthy Democracy Fund. Defend the voting rights and close the voter turnout gap for communities of color, young voters, and the economically disadvantaged. And then you go through, you go through the page, you find um, uh, the Tides approach, our solutions, a global impact, by the way. If you find out Tides Fund, and this is all, I mean, this is just simple stuff here, folks. But I understand a lot of people don't have time to do this. You go to the Tides Foundation, Google, and then just do yourself a favor. And try, after you put the Tides Foundation, go to the, just type in open society, he who shall not be named, George Soros, and you will find, you better believe it, so much money coming in. Here it is, open society foundations. Yep, let's see, 2020. another $250,000. Folks, that is all George, he who shall not be named Soros. Wonder where he gets all this money from, right? It's amazing to me. I mean, he's the most evil guy in the whole world, right up there with old Bill Gates. So anyway, BLM channeled donations through those two organizations, Thousand Currents and the Tides Foundation, until the IRS approved its application for nonprofit status in December 2020. Around that time, Thousand Currents transferred, listen to this, oh my, $66.5 million to BLM, a transaction personally signed off on by BLM co-founder, you guessed it, Miss Train Marxist herself, Patrice Colors. Colors later issued the organization's first ever impact report in February 2021, claiming that the organization had raised over $90 million in 2020, spent $8.4 million on 
operating expenses and given out $21.7 million to local BLM chapters and affiliated organizations. But these were just top-line numbers and a flashy communications product. No details were given on who was specifically paid what. Well, just three months, folks, after that, Colors left BLM, claiming she wanted to focus on other projects. She adamantly denied charges that she left the organization due to media reports, and this was all over, that she had recently purchased millions of dollars worth of real estate for herself. When Colors left BLM, she announced that activists Makani, Thumba, and Manafa, Bandale, Bandali, whatever you say, it doesn't matter, would replace her as senior executives, but Themba and Bandale later released a statement that they were, quote, were not able to come to an agreement with the acting leadership council about our scope and work authority. Ask now who was in charge of BLM. Themba told the Washington Examiner, we never actually started in the position, so we have never received any detailed information. Well, donors to BLM should have received some much-needed insight into how their money was being spent this November when BLM was required by law to file a Form 990 tax return. It's now January. There's no evidence BLM ever filed its form. Charity Watch Executive Director Lori Styron described BLM as a, quote, <laughs> listen to this, a giant ghost ship full of treasure drifting in the night with no captain, no discernible crew, and no clear direction. According to Candid, a website devoted to tracking nonprofit donation groups like BLM, which claim to be devoted to racial equity, have raised over $25 billion since George Floyd's death. Well, what exactly have these billions accomplished? Are black lives any safer? Hmm. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Thanks to activism from groups like BLM, police budgets, as we went over last night, have been slashed in major cities across the country. Defund the police. You heard Corey Bush. I played the, um, uh, the montage yesterday. Defund the police mean defund the police. The number of arrests have plunged by 24%. As police were being defunded, murder rates skyrocketed with black lives being hit the hardest. In 2019, before the defund the police movement, 7,000, listen to this, 7,777, a lot of sevens there, black people were murdered, making up 53.5% of all homicide victims. That was already bad. But in 2020, both of those numbers rose. 9,900 41 black people were murdered the year George Floyd died, accounting for 55.8% of all murders. That's an additional 2,000 black lives lost to violent crime last year. In contrast, only 60 unarmed men were killed by police in 2020, and only 18 of those were black. The people who donated to BLM deserve to know where their money went now i would say this though because i don't really agree with that because the people who donated to black lives matter they don't care where their money went they just wanted to feel good about themselves that's it just want to say well i'm in it i'm down 
I'm down with the struggle. I donated to Black Lives Matter. I, I put my black dot on the Instagram. I'm in it, man. I'm with you. So do the people who live in communities that have been devastated by violence. I, yeah, I think they should know. Congress should investigate, the Washington Examiner writes, and perhaps it will be starting next January. Folks, we can only hope. Again, I keep saying, you know, the Republican Party may be flawed. They may be bad. They may, oh, by the way, right before we came on air, uh, Donald Trump was doing an interview on Newsmax and called Lindsey Graham a rhino. So that's where we're at right now with the Republican Party. He's absolutely right about Lindsey Graham, too. Um, so I think we absolutely should investigate Black Lives Matter. I wanted to investigate Patrice Cullors. I mean, my goodness, this is a woman who's a trained Marxist. Seems to me like she has benefited pretty well in a capitalistic country. Um, now, as far as Joe Unity Biden um, goes and what he's saying today, here's a headline for you here, folks. Quote, Biden meets senators, Kamala Harris, to talk Supreme Court pick and a what? Evolving Constitution. There you go, folks. What I tell you? Democratic Party hates the United States of America, hates our Constitution. Of course they do. President Biden met today with Vice President Kamala Harris and top Republican and Democrat um, leaders on the Senate Judiciary Committee to discuss the Supreme Court vacancy. Biden said he's interested in choosing a nominee, a nominee excuse me, who believes there are unenumerated rights in the Constitution, and that he believes the, listen to this, this is what the, the President of the United States said today. The Constitution is always evolving slightly in terms of additional rights or curtailing rights. What is he talking about? The Constitution is evolving. That basically guarantees what I warned of last night on this program, that Joe Biden is going to put a liberal activist on the bench. That's what he's going to do. And she, she's got to be a black woman. Those are the only qualifications. He says he's, well, she's going to be a black woman, but she's got to be a liberal activist as well. The president, who was a senator for 36 years, as if we need reminding, New York Post, kicked off the meeting by uh, the meeting call uh, off the meeting by calling Senators Chuck Grassley from Iowa. He's got a phenomenal voice, by the way. If you never heard Chuck Grassley in Iowa's voice is phenomenal. And Dick Durbin, Democrat senator from Illinois, he calls him too good friend. You know, Joe talks too good friend. Harris herself, a potential contender for the hype. By the way, a lot of people getting roped in um, news outlets. I mean, kind of like the New York Post here reporting. Um, and getting you know sucked in, I would guess, that Kamala Harris is going to be the nomination for the Supreme Court justice. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, Joe Unity Biden can't stand Kamala Harris. I mean, I think the most uh, the people that are going to be supporting Kamala Harris uh, to be the next Supreme Court justice probably her own staff who are resigning and calling her a, quote, soul-destroying bully. But Harris did not speak before reporters were removed from the Oval Office. All right, you gotta go, gotta go. Joe ain't taking comments. He was asking, um, reporters were throwing questions at him today, and Joe was just smiling. He was just sitting in the Oval Office. I was actually surprised that they were actually in the Oval Office. They weren't in the fake White House created set that Joe loves to be in so much. Biden said, uh, I want the advice of the Senate as well as the consent 
if we can arrive on who the nominee should be. Well, Joe actually says that, oh, and in the, the, as he refers to it, the evolving Constitution, that Supreme Court justices are nominated by the president and then the advice and consent of the Senate, the Senate either confirms or did, um, um, declines whoever that nominee may be. He says, and, and you know there's always a renewed national debate every time we nominate. Any president nominates a justice because the Constitution is always evolving slightly. I mean, where, where does he get this stuff from? It's always evolving slightly. Again, that's how whoever Joe chooses to be the, the next Supreme Court justice, that's how they're going to interpret the Constitution. Well, it's outdated. We can't keep listening to that. We have to legislate from the bench. That's what Sonia Sotomayor does on the Supreme Court. That's what Elena Kagan does on the Supreme Court. That's what the retiring Justice Breyer does on the Supreme Court. Says, uh, and it's always an issue, and there are several schools of thought in terms of judicial philosophy, and we'll see, Joe says. Um, Democrat, uh, they write Democrats can approve uh, Biden's selection without any Republican support in the evenly divided Senate. If Harris, now, by the way, if and they write here, if Harris breaks a tie vote in their favor, well, this has been argue, There's been arguments about this. If Kamala Harris can break a tie or not, and in um, this is the Daily Caller earlier today. White House believes Kamala Harris could cast deciding vote for Supreme Court nominee. Saki says. So reporters pressed the White House for more than a week on whether it is constitutional for a vice president to make a tie-breaking vote in the Senate for Supreme Court justice. Legal scholars on both sides of the aisle, including close allies of Biden's, have argued that the vice president cannot cast such a vote. Saki indicated the White House believes otherwise. Quote, last week, I know I said, I know you said you'd look for an answer on whether the vice president could break a tie in the Supreme Court vote. Have you guys come to determination on that? She says the vice president has been the tie-breaking vote for a number of judicial appointments or nominees in the past, but our intention is, of course, to get broad support for an eminently qualified nominee. Remember, the black woman, that's what it's going to be. Well, the White House's apparent belief that Harris could cast a vote is at odds with arguments from Harvard Law professor and Biden ally, Lawrence Tribe. Tribe argued in 2020 that then-Vice President Mike Pence could not cast a tie-breaking vote to approve Amy Coney Barrett's nomination. Quote, he wrote in the Boston Globe, Beantown Globe, it should be called. While the vice president has the power to cast a tie-breaking vote to pass a bill, the Constitution does not give her, or him, uh, him or her, the power to break ties when it comes to the Senate's advice and consent role in approving presidential appointments to the Supreme Court. Tribe reiterated that he stands by the statement even with Biden as president. So, folks, and, you know, asking me, listen, I'm not a constitutional scholar at all, but I'm just saying here, if you got a Biden ally saying that, it might not be constitutional. And by the way, obviously the Democrats don't care about the Constitution. Because if you ask Joe about the Constitution, well, uh, it's always evolving. I mean, is it really? Unbelievable. Anyway, folks, we have entered the 687th day of slowing the spread. The Biden administration has now 1,083 days left 
to go.